it's a way of life. It truly is a way of life. And that's something I was thinking today. When we make that commitment that we're going to go for this deal, uh, miraculous things start happening. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. From Studio AA Deep in the heart of Texas, that was the voice of Mr. Jim W. That you heard at the beginning of this episode, and you are going to hear so much more, so much more from him. I'm so excited to have him in just a moment, but first things first, this episode, episode, which episode, John, is this? Well, this is episode number 252, but first things first, this episode is brought to you by Adrian and Sophie and Todd and Kurt and Terry and Lou and Anonymous. What may you ask? Did Adrian and Sophie and Todd and Kurt and Terry and Lou and Anonymous do. I'm, I'm sorry. I am. I'm, I'm my my. I'm doing silly things with my voice on purpose. It's getting away from me. But they went to our website www.soberspeak.com. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that's where they went. And they clicked on the little yellow donate tab and they made a contribution. And I am going to go real quick to the Sober Speak website while I'm doing. Oh, by the way, and thank you, Adrian and Sophie and Todd and Kurt and Terry and Lou and Anonymous. This episode number 252 is coming right out to Ewan's. So, uh, I am looking at the website right now. And for those of you who don't know, we have. Well, if you go there, you can listen to the podcast on the website, but very few people do that. Um, but you can also go, there's a, there's a tab we have called top episodes. And if you click on top episodes, this is, when I say top episodes, this is just not something that I randomly decided were the top episodes. These are episodes that we either had you, the listener, uh, vote on over the last few years, or I went into the downloads and I see, you know, who were the most listened to. And we list those on our website because I get a lot of people asking me, Hey, John, 
You have so many episodes. You have over 250 episodes now. Where do I start? Who should I listen to? How do I, you know, all that kind of stuff. And if you want to start with uh, some of the most listened to and some of the more popular ones, you can go there. Once again, it's up top episodes. We also have sober resources. And I'm looking here under the sober resources. Oh, we have several things. I forget about this. The lovely, oh, the so lovely Mrs. M, or as Jim calls her, I like like this, the divine Mrs. M. Uh, we have the recovery websites listed like Alcoholics Anonymous, Al-Anon, the recovery show, uh, or some other uh, 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 podcasts that we like and some websites that we like, uh, including uh, the recovery show and transitions daily email and how you sign up for that. Uh, and we also look, oh, it looks like we also have step worksheets. Uh, for those of you who are, there are so, so many step worksheets out there, but we do have the majority of the steps. The others are coming. So there's three or four of these that we're missing, uh, but step one, step two, step four, uh, et cetera, et cetera, are all on there. And you could, you could look at the step worksheets if you'd like under sober resources. And then you can go to the content. You know, I had no idea that I was going to do this. I mean, really, I'm just like, why am I doing this? But what the heck? While well, I started, you also have a contact us website. Excuse me. Contact us tab, I guess is what you call it, where you can click on contact us and you can send an email to me. Or if you don't want to go through the website, you just send me an email at john, J-O-H-N at soberspeak.com. And also under contact us, there's a little, uh, if you look on the right hand side of the screen under contact us, it says send John M a voicemail and you can click on that. And guess what it does? It sends me a voicemail. Uh, if you're interested in that. And then we also have a lot of stuff for, uh, we also, there's all kinds of blog information. There's all sorts of blog posts on there. Some are listener contributions, some are transcripts, some are, like I said, the AA worksheets, some are, it's, it's all over the map. But there's lots of good reading for you there if indeed you are interested in uh, the website kind of stuff. All right. Now, um, let's move on. Um, what else do I have today? Uh, I think that's it. So, you know, I was thinking about this before I actually started recording and I was, so I was picturing who and what and where is listening to this podcast and, and what are they doing? You know, I always like to know what people are doing when they, you know, send me in, uh, uh, listener feedback or whatever. But I was also, I was kind of picturing people out there in the world and it, and it helps me when I'm doing this to kind of picture, uh, uh, individuals, uh, or small groups of people. And so I was wondering, in, in essence, I'm thinking about you. Where are you in your spiritual journey today? Uh, are you, maybe you're struggling with a relationship. Maybe you're struggling with your job. Uh, perhaps, perhaps you are incarcerated and you're listening to this uh, from behind bars and you are struggling with loneliness. Maybe you're actually hunky-dory I hadn't heard that term in a long time, hunky dory, but you're completely on the beam today and grateful for where you are. And I'm happy to hear that as well. But wherever you are, 
I'm hoping that we can provide a space right here, right now, today, where you can slow down. You can breathe a little easier. You can take a deep breath. And perhaps, perhaps you can view the world from a different vantage point, I guess, um, than you were earlier today after you listened to this episode. We're so glad that you have joined us. So glad you have joined us. I, I know you could be doing so many other things, and I'm hoping we can bring a little light into your life. And I got to tell you right now, I, I am picturing somebody that is in, like I said, incarcerated, and they're listening to this, and and the prison system has given them the ability to listen to this podcast, and I'm so grateful for that. And I'm getting a little, what do you call it, verklempt, thinking about it, a little bit emotional. Um, and, and I'm glad that all of you are here, and all of you are able to listen in with us. And um, anyway, I digress a little, but uh, thanks for being here today, all of you. Now... On to Mr. Jim W. Jim W., we're calling this episode Miraculous Things Start Happening. And Jim W. is from San Antonio, Texas. Jim has been sober since, drumroll, please. Jim has been sober since 1957. Yes, 1957. That is 65 years for those of you doing the math at home. Wow. Jim has had the same home group for 65 years. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? We discussed Jim's career in the Marine Corps, uh, some of his jealous, jealousy issues early on, uh, practicing the traditions at home and in the workplace, and what happened to Jim when he turned his finances over to God. I know you're going to enjoy this one. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, without further ado, not indo, what's indo? Uh, anyway, without further ado, please help me welcome Mr. Jim W. Enjoy. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here with Mr. Jim W. So Jim, I am going to ask you to go ahead, uh, introduce yourself, give, give your sobriety date if you wish, and tell people where you live in the United States, please. My name is Jim, and I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is February the 6th, 1957. My home group has been all these years, uh, Group 12 in San Antonio. Wow. Okay, so I knew you were sober for quite some time. <laughs> I didn't know you were sober for that long. So since 57, that is how many years, 60, Jim? 65. 65. So, you know, if we had a pension plan in Alcoholics Anonymous, you would qualify for it. Am I right? I hope to God I never require. <laughs> 65 years, my friend. That is fantastic. All right. Um, 
Okay, so how do we unpack 65 years? We're going to do our best with that today. And you say, have you been in the same home group all those 65 years? Correct. And we're going to celebrate our 73rd uh, birthday next month. Wow. And what's the name of that group again? It's Group 12 at Club 12. <clears throat> so, so it sounds like it's a group within a club. Is that That's right? Correct. Okay. Wow. My goodness. I am just taken aback. We started with uh, three days, uh, three meetings a week, rather. And now we have 78 meetings a week. So what You're talking about in the club? At the club, yes. Wow. That is fantastic. Okay. So let's go back. So obviously you had some time before you got to Alcoholics Anonymous. You came on a December 6th of 1957. February. Uh, oh, yeah. February 6th. My, my apologies. Um, and so talk to me about, I, I don't know, give me a thumbnail sketch of what happened to you and your life before you got to Alcoholics Anonymous in 1957. By the way, I'm sure you hear people say this all the time, but you've been sober longer than I've been alive, right? Does, does just about everybody tell you that? Sober longer than their grandfather's been alive in some cases. <laughs> <laughs> so at any rate... Uh, one of the things that I've realized uh, oh, more this birthday uh, in February than I ever had, and that is how useless and how uh, withdrawn I was uh, by the time I got ready for this program. Uh, what happened is uh, a little bit when I started drinking, uh, I was 13, and we used to steal beer off of the Pearlbury truck and go under a house and smoke cedar bark rolls in the newspaper and uh, drink <laughs> hot beer. And actually, uh, the cedar bark was more dangerous because if you took too big a puff, it would catch on fire and you'd suck the fire down your throat. <laughs> so... Uh, so, well, hold on just a second. I've never heard. Of, so cedar bark rolled up. Is that kind of like a, a man-made cigarette? Yeah, is that? Yeah, we didn't have them. You know, if we, once in a while we could steal some bugler, but uh, it was a very <laughs> long time ago. <laughs> and money uh, was a lot different then. Uh, but at any rate, <laughs> uh, I finally made amends after a lot of years to Pearl Brewery. I sent him a check for... <laughs> what I thought might cover inflation. <laughs> but what happened to me is that we moved out in the country and uh, up, <clears throat> up until this time, I was very passive. And uh, we with some guys come out to play pool at this beer joint uh, that I went nearly every day. And this gang leader picked up the six ball and I told him, you know, put it down and said, we don't want any bullies out here. And so I went nuts. I, I started beating on him. And uh, that's a first, all the pent up anger I had, I took off on the Hikote. And so when I came back in the beer joint, uh, the real gang leader was named Prieto. And I 
told him, I guess we're going to have some trouble. He said, nah, he getting a little too cocky. He needed that. Um, so actually, they didn't have any indoor plumbing in this beer joint. So when the old man would go outside to relieve himself, we were relieving of his <laughs> wine and beer. And I, I accidentally made a meeting, uh, amends to him a number of years later. I, I was a used car dealer, and I wanted to go out there and show off a little bit, and I stopped at the beer joint and uh, got a, a drink a little bit, and he wanted to borrow some money, and I said, why don't I just buy this thing? And so he sold it to me. And Sunday morning, I woke up, and I said, I did something, but I don't know what it was. I, I, so I went down and talked to him, and he, I said, what would you... Let me back out. I'll pay you something. No, he said, I've been wanting to sell it. So anyway, I accidentally <laughs> bought that beer joint. And I put a guy out there. And uh, <laughs> we managed to lose the license within three months selling to minors. And my, <laughs> my mother had been trying to shut that down for years. And we was able to do it in three months. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyway, congratulations. So anyway, <laughs> what happened to me, though, changed my life in a way that was not good. And that is, I thought anybody that ever run over me and took advantage of me, I was going to punish them in some way. And I was going to make it, first of all, look like an accident. And my older brother, uh, he had kind of beat up on me a little bit. And we was going to be hauling some hay that summer, and uh, I stuck a hay hook through his leg. And then later on, uh, and I, I told my family, I, I was just trying to scare him. I really didn't mean it, but I meant it a lot. And then uh, of all the things, when I was 15, my family gave me a shotgun for my birthday, which I'm the only violent person now in the family, and they gave me a shotgun. <laughs> and so my brother, whom I was so jealous of, I mean, really jealous of, uh, he wanted to ride my mare and I just told him not to kick her and he did. And so I tried to shoot him. So I couldn't say that was an accident then. And so I, my uncle grabbed a shotgun and I run off. And the only thing I could find to eat for a couple of days was raw turnips and drink tank water. And I decided that maybe it wasn't going to be that bad at home. So I went back, you know, <laughs> but that started, Raw turnips. that started a deal to me. And, um, you know, there was no television or anything in those days. Uh, and my family would go to sleep, you know, fairly early and I'd go out to the beer joint. And so pretty near, I was drinking every day by the time I was 14. And then what happened is I couldn't read. Uh, they graduated from school, uh, but I couldn't read. And so I couldn't, I graduated from high school in 48 and I couldn't find any kind of work. My dad was a car dealer at that time and I was going to be a glorified porter and I really didn't want to do that. So I was 17, we forged uh, my mom and dad's signature and got a guy to put a notary seal on it. 
Uh, his name was Herbert Cochran, and he put George Arman real fancy and then put the seal on it. And the Marine Corps took me in. And I was uh, in the Marine Corps about 30 minutes when I realized I'd made a mistake. And, <laughs> and so anyway, I went to sick bay and I told them I wouldn't be able to do all that exercise because I had infantile paralysis when I was 15. And this doctor said he really felt a great deal of compassion for me. And he came back with two ounces of castor oil and made me drink it and said, don't ever come back here again. So anyway, <laughs> I thought I was dying. I, I weighed 120 pounds when I went in there and I gained 35 pounds in boot camp. And wow. that's when I found out my mother was a terrible cook because the, <laughs> the Marine Corps food was absolutely delicious. So that I, <laughs> and of course, they were giving us lots of exercise. So at any rate, by the time I was 19, I'd already been in the hospital for alcoholism twice. Once I started passing blood and they put me in an old man's ward uh, and I was in there for six weeks. And then the other time I say is alcohol related because I came to in somebody's garage in the winter naked and I got double pneumonia. Now, I say that's alcohol-related because I rarely ever laid down in anybody's garage sober in the winter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So at any rate, uh, what happened is it looked like we was not going to war with uh, China or Russia, and I had signed up for four years, and they let us get out at two years if I signed the inactive reserves, which I did. And the only way I'd have to go back is a uh, war would start. Well, it started three months after I got out and I got called back in, you know. And anyway, um, I used to tell people, you know, you get a telegram from the president and it was President Truman. And then I was telling him that the letter said, Jim, you need to come on back. I don't think we can win it without you sort of thing. But. I, I really mm -hmm. didn't impress very many people with that deal. So at any rate, um, I, my sister had a friend and I said, uh, you know, I'm uh, not going to have the money to or time to really court anybody. So I think I'll just marry your friend and uh, take her with me. And so <laughs> my sister slapped me. And so I married her. And so we drove out to California in a 36 Ford. <laughs> and going across the desert, we had to, you know, put a, a towel, wet towel, and that was our air condition, you know. Wow. And we got out there, and I went through three months of advanced infantry training and then got on the ship to go to Korea. The thing is, is when I look back, I had an invisible means of support uh, all my life and didn't know it because what happened, I was in the 1st Marine Division and what happened uh, is all the guys that I was stationed with before I got out early uh, ended up going in the Incheon uh, landing and they went all the way up to the Chosen Reservoir with almost no resistance in North Carolina, uh, North uh, Korea. And uh, they got trapped there. Uh, 
uh, MacArthur told the president that uh, there was China was about to intervene, and he fired him over it. And China did intervene and wiped out almost all my friends, all the people I knew. And then either that were killed or else they had frostbite, and it was it was really a, a mess. So by the time I got there, it was a different control altogether. I only got to uh, drink twice because. Uh, if you was in reserve, you could get 10 year, uh, beers. And so I bought somebody else's 10 so I could celebrate my 21st birthday in Korea. And then I uh, traded a 45 pistol uh, with an air boy that was bringing in supplies for a fifth of Seacrums. And that was quite a treat, you know. <laughs> so I didn't get much uh, to drink. But when I came home, uh, I came home as a sergeant in the Marine Corps and a hero. Now, the Marine Corps didn't know I was a hero, but the family did. And I I could learn how to uh, make anybody as guilty as uh, uh, First Baptist Church or uh, Catholic. I I mean, I I put something on Babel wouldn't take off. So my dad and my (laughs) brother tell me, if you'll work for us uh, for a year, we'll give you a third of everything. So the way I repaid their kindness is sometimes I'd go into work as early as 10 or 11 o'clock. Sometimes <laughs> I wasn't drinking enough to matter. Uh, but before uh, noon or so, I was already in trouble. Uh, I didn't produce anything, but there was times when I didn't insult a customer or anything. So what happened, I started passing blood again. And the doctor that played a tremendous role in getting me an Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, he was our family doctor and he absolutely uh, loved my family. He barely tolerated me at times, but he told me he'd have to put me back in the hospital because I started passing blood and I just quit drinking. And not only that, I got good, and there was a lady worked at the finance company where we was doing business. And I, uh, I didn't tell her I had any drinking problem. I didn't tell her about violence or anything because I wasn't doing it at the moment and uh, helped her make the right decision to marry me. What happened is a month later, my dad calls me in. And I want you to know this is the 11th month, not the 12th. We hadn't split anything yet, you understand? And so he called me in and fired me. And he told me, son, you're going to have to work for yourself or by yourself because you just can't get along with anybody. And that was so true. And uh, just jump forward just a bit. Uh, The traditions have been a lifesaver for me and certainly that for other people that knew me because when I started practicing the traditions in my my business and my home and AA of course uh, everything changed but at any rate I had a 38 Dodge and $400 and a new wife and they there was a dealer an old dealer down the street didn't want to work and so he let me uh, sell my cars at at, uh, no lot fee and sell his cars at uh, no commission. Now he was 70 <laughs> years old, 
uh, next month I'll be 92. So I, wow, I got to quit telling people about old people. You understand? <laughs> so anyway, uh, I didn't drink for a year and a half, and I did, I got successful. I learned how to paint cars, or clean them up, and upholster them, and do all that kind of stuff. And ended up being forced in the finance part of it, and I I got doing very well. And a year and a half went by, not one beer, and I always think about, I wonder if I intuitively knew something about not taking the first drink, but I didn't anyway. But the brother I was so jealous of, uh, he, he was a compulsive gambler, and he had went broke, and he come down and warned to borrow some money from me. Now, I don't know if that had done anything for you, but I gave him a pre-Alanon talk, uh, <laughs> which meant I made him feel very guilty and didn't give him anything. You know what I mean? So I told him, I, you know, I'll pay the payments on your house and put food in the refrigerator, but I'm not giving you any money. You know. Well, <laughs> after he left, I got extremely thirsty, and I got to thinking, wouldn't a seven high taste good? So I went and bought a fifth of Seacrams and I drunk them for three years. I barely ever draw a sober breath when I would try. Uh, I would go into some kind of delusions or something. Uh, and so I would drink again. This family doctor I told you about, I mean, he tried everything that he could imagine. There was a new kind of antabuse come out uh, that had some kind of narcotic in it. And uh, it was supposed to take one teaspoon and a glass of water. And I was taking one bottle a day for five days because it did something for me. Now, mm -hmm. I'm so grateful nobody offered me drugs or I'd be poly addicted, I imagine. But anyway, I'm floating around on the lot in blue, and I decided on the fifth day I wanted to go back to the drug of my choice. The Broadway bowling alley was directly across the street, and I thought, if I can wait till 5 o'clock, I'll go over there and get some beer. Now, beer doesn't hurt anybody because it doesn't have enough alcohol in it, right? <laughs> so I had a, an old retired Texas Ranger working for me, and he would take a beer and put salt in it. And when the phone would come up, he, he would kill the beer. And that's all I could think about all day. I was going to try that. So I went over there and I put a little salt in the beer. I don't know how much I got down, but it wasn't much. And I started having very strange things happen in my body. I broke for the door, you know, and I got physically went blind. I couldn't see anything but a cloud. And so I got down on my hands and knees, and uh, I was on Broadway, and that was the main thoroughfare in and out of town. There was no freeways or anything. And I'm crawling on my knees to get over that lot, to get somebody to call that quack and tell him he's damn near kill me. What? <laughs> so he gave me something, and I got my eyesight back. And once again, everything he tried failed. And then what happened, though, is uh, there was a guy, an AA member come from California and he had the flu or something and somebody recommended our doctor uh, for treatment. So he went and he said, 
the doctor next to me said, I have to be very careful what medication I take because I'm an alcoholic and it may set up that craving for me to drink. And when he said that, doctor said, I've got a drunk that will not stay sober. They talked for four hours. He lent his big book to Dr. Nixon and he read the whole big book. And then mm. I didn't find this out till later. Then he calls me and fires me as a patient. He tells me, I don't care if you're in the emergency room bleeding to death. Do not tell him I'm your doctor because I am not. And the only way I'll ever is for you to get serious to stay stopping. Mm. So on February the 6th, 1957, I had left my wife once again because she was not treating me in a manner I wanted to become accustomed to. <laughs> I had switched to half pints and pints. You know, I'll just do this, but then, you know, refill them. But if I needed to do what I loved alcohol for, that is either pass out or not cure. So I would get a fifth to go along with that. I ended up in a $3 motel equivalent to that, you know, and mm -hmm. there's a young couple lying to each other next door, the room, wall, wall, I could hear everything, you know, you just need it, so you don't really love me. And the more they talked, the more depressed I got. And the more I drank, a very key thing happened. I could not pass out. I, I've heard this so many times. When somebody's hitting their bottom, the more he drank, the more my mind seemed to get clear. So the next morning, I called the doctor's office, and uh, the nurse said he's not here. And I said, well, I'll call him back tomorrow. And he said, no. She said, no. If He said, if you ever call, I know what to do with you. And so they got me in the uh, nursing home, St. Benedict's nursing home. There was only two places in San Antonio that would take you knowing that you were uh, an alcoholic or problems with alcohol. And that was uh, St. Benedict's and the Evergreen. The Evergreen, you'd come out in worse shape you went in because they had drug salesmen working there, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so right. anyway, I ended up. And I'm laying in bed and my, uh, the guy had brought the big book over. My then wife was reading the big book to me. And there's a couple of things that stood out. Uh, one of them was I had had a terrible problem with jealousy. I mean, bad. And what happened is, uh, well, I'll give you an example. One night I got up two or three o'clock in the morning uh, I need to have something to drink. I had promised not to keep alcohol in the house, so I had it out in the garage, and I was and I switched to vodka. That's awful, terrible. It's like <laughs> drinking perfume. So I get a glass, but it looked like water. You know what I mean? Right. So anyway, I and looked across the alley, and this guy is signaling my wife. He's doing. He's turned the light on two longs in a tar chart two. And I, so I got my pistol and what I was going to do is imitate what he was doing and get him come over in the yard and shoot him as a burglar. 
So I worked that light for about an hour, and I finally decided he's not. So I learned in advanced infantry training how to sneak up on somebody. So I snuck up in his backyard, and it was a wind blowing the light back and forth. That's the that's closest I ever got to catching her, but I damn near caught her that time. So anyway, when she she's reading that, I said, uh, she got to the family. After I said, they even know, she read, you know, that some of the wives have had a retaliatory love affair. They even know in this book what you've been doing. Now tell me who it is and we'll get it over with. We won't have that problem anymore. She never would tell me. So at any rate, the other thing, you know how compliant we get when we're in trouble. So when she started going through the steps, I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I could do that. Sure. And she got to the fifth step, and I jumped out of bed, and I said, I ain't never going to do that. I said, do you want me to tell them? She said, absolutely not. Don't tell them anything, because she knew mm -hmm. it was probably mm -hmm. not a good idea. So at any rate, I swore to God. So when uh, Mr. AA got there, my lip was trembling, and I told him, I'm not going to do that fifth step thing. And he told me the most perfect thing I could have possibly ever heard. He said, oh, you never have to take that fifth step. The only thing we need to be concerned about right now is the first step. If he'd have told me I was going to have to do that, I don't mm -hmm. know. I, w I may not do it. So that started my deal. He took me to check me out and took me to a meeting over to Thomas and um uh, after the meeting, he brought me over to Club 12, and uh, I met a guy there. He was on, and the way he talked to his story and stuff, I honestly could not remember laughing as hard as I was laughing. I mean, a genuine laugh, not like somebody mm -hmm. fell down and broke a leg, but just really a better laugh. So when we was going back to the uh, nursing home, uh, this AA member told me, you know, you may be a honeymooner. Now, from California, I want to know, well, what, what do you mean by that? You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. he said, you may never have to take a drink again. And I said, God, wait till the family hears that, you know. <laughs> so that really began my AA and one of the most wonderful things is uh, when I, we was actually talking about it in a meeting this morning, uh, this little clique group took me in and there were so few people coming in AA in 57, you know, that didn't blossom until the 60s when it really exploded. But at any rate, uh, they included me in everything. If there's a newcomer come, it was a group project, you know, and they would get somebody with a few days of sobriety, maybe 30 days. And uh, that way, uh, they wouldn't let me talk beyond my 30 days, you know. <laughs> but I could light a cigarette for a person or pour them a half a cup of coffee and commiserate with them because I knew exactly <laughs> how they were feeling. You know, and a lot of times they'd identify with person me instead of somebody telling them there's good news here, you know. So at any rate, uh, 
they was a group of workers. They absolutely loved the program. There was two of them that said that really had something very special, and that was a piece. I yearned to have peace so desperately. I hadn't had any in a long time. And both of them said essentially the same thing, that they had some kind of contact, conscious contact with a higher power. And so my sponsor suggested I take the AA literature. And at the time, there was some other spiritual uh, deals like Summer on the Mound. And actually, uh, Father Fowler, called Father John Doe, had written a couple of books, Sobriety Wild In and Sobriety. Uh, but at any rate, uh, I started, uh, I still in the car business. So I had plenty of time. Business was slow. So I'm learning. And I found out why I hadn't been able to learn with tutors in school and stuff because they kept trying to teach me with phonics, and I don't hear words like other people do, apparently. So I had to learn them by memorizing them. And it took me about a year and a half. And so anyway, um, I hadn't bothered to pay anybody in about 90 days, and they was fixing to repossess my house and, and close my car lot. So I thought, this would be a good time to find out if there's a higher power that'll help a person like me that doesn't deserve it, don't know how to do it, but I really need it. And with all my heart, I'm going to ask God to take care of my finance. And I gave him three days to do it. Now, <laughs> he he's supposed to raise his son in three days. He ought to be able to take care of a little finance stuff. <laughs> And what happened is in three days, all of those things were settled in a way that was not me. And it changed my whole life because for the first time, I knew there was a power greater than me that would do for me what I couldn't do, not deserving it, not doing, asking for the right thing according to some people. But the thing is, I asked for what I needed with all my heart. What well, was funny, the guy I had my home financed was American General, and uh, a guy called me. He hadn't ever called me before. And he said, Mr. So-and-so, uh, we're going to have to foreclose on your house unless we get these three payments in. And I started laughing. He said, this is a very serious matter. I said, well... What I'm going to tell you for a used car dealer, you may not think it's funny, but it's true. The check's in the mail. And he said, I'm telling you, this is serious. And I said, I'm telling you, check your mail tomorrow. And because the <laughs> check was in there. Now, I, I was broke again in about six months, but never was I without that power again. Reason I when I hadn't really cleared away the wreckage of my past. I hadn't really thorough done the rest of the steps. And so that's when I got busy to start doing them, you know. So AA has been my way of life uh, for a very long time. In fact, um, I sold my business in 1981 and uh for 41 years, I just keep an office and I'm able to share with people and not have to have other people's money. 
I mean, you know, and being illiterate, uh, actually I've written 20 workbooks, you know, they're not well written, but I use them for workshops and stuff and everything I've done has been able to be free. And I, this birthday, like I said, made more, more emotional sense than I'd felt in a long time. It was very simple. I knew how sorry I was by the time I got right to this program. Nobody wanted anything to do with me. I'd burned everybody out. I had uh, run around on my wife. I had done everything wrong that you could possibly do wrong. And yet here they give me a life where I can make a tiny difference. I know I don't have great talent, you know, but what I do have, I freely share, you know, and I'm able to do that every day, really. Uh, I don't know if they have a company. I want to tell you something about uh, yeah. uh, my higher power. Is yeah. What I needed to have is something like, you know, being able to really turn and it happened. And what I thought about is, you know, the food I ate today is being transformed into everything we call life. I can't change a taco into fresh blood, but this higher power can do that for me, you know, which means it's within me. Each one of us is an individual. And what I've come to understand about the grace of God is the will of God is for you and I to be just ourselves. We're not asked to be something beyond what we are. And everything that we need is given to us. The thing that given, you know, I traded in that wife I come in with after about six years because she just said she couldn't forgive me and she couldn't love me and she backed it up. But finally, uh, God gave me a person, Kathy, and uh, she just passed away in September. We did, was together for 58 years. And she was so perfect for me because she never complained about the money I spent, the time I spent. Because when we first started going together, she wanted to know when we would have more time to spend with each other. And I told her, AA would always have to come first because what she would be getting, she really wouldn't want. You know, one of the ways I would celebrate my anniversary with her because I was so appreciative of her because uh, she really honored that beyond all things. And what I would do, for instance, she said, I've got 54 red roses and four white roses and put them in the center. It's uh, representing the four years we lived together. So I had to mouth off and tell this lady that was putting the flowers together. While she, and she said, you were living in sin. And I said, we thought it was heavenly. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, is God has provided me an abundance of everything. Uh, and it certainly isn't because I deserve it but because I've been willing to be asking and, and put it to work when it's been given to me, you know. So <clears throat> I don't know how we are on time. Uh, oh, we're fine. So, hey, let me ask you a question. So you have been uh, obviously 
sober since you know a long time yeah. and did uh, i wonder did did you and let me put it this way you are one of the people that you know that that when guys like you are not here anymore some of that primary or that you know firsthand experience with uh any of the the people coming in on the front end uh did did you ever meet people like uh bill wilson or ebby or anybody like that bill was still alive for 14 years uh of my sobriety his personality intimidated me so much. That kind of person, important person, nobody important ever had anything to do with me. And I, I had a chance to meet him a couple of times and didn't do it. I thought, what am I going to say? Oh, uh, you know, you saved my life. And I, you know, I just, I just couldn't do it. But we would, everything that he would send letters out. And one of the father foul uh, really got treated by that was father don john doe and he went into a bad depression now bill was in a depression around 15 years so he understood and he heard that these uh canadian doctors were using niacin and uh, a massive dose of niacin but you had to take vitamin c or your sinus would stop up you know so anyway that letter got circulated around aa and so <laughs> the biggest uh, pill you could get of niacin at that time, and it wasn't the kind that didn't flush it. It was a job, and it was 25 milligrams. And I was in a meeting today that I've been around for over 50 years, and he, he met me at the door where I come in the club, and went, oh, my God, we can get niacin 100 milligrams in Chicago, and if enough of us, we can get them wholesale. You know, so you'd walk in the <laughs> club there for a while and it looked like red lights, you know, with turning. <laughs> <laughs> People taking massive doses out of the way they take. But anyway, <laughs> so then another one when I was getting serious about this uh, reading, I, uh, Bill Wilson was reading uh, a two volumes called Thinking and Destiny The Building of the Immortal Soul. And man, mm -hmm. I'll tell you that I'm, I've been about a year trying to figure that out. Anyway, we had this one lady in the pro, she was so precious. Her, her sobriety date was 9949. And anyway, she called me one time and said, Jim, I heard you had those uh, books. And I said, Yeah, Katie, just keep them as long as you want to. Uh, I'm done with them. But my sponsor told me, you know, instead of just trying to blow off anything, just put it on a shelf and one day uh, you'll find a use for it, you know. So sure enough, one day I heard uh, a saying uh, or it came to mind, all things are conscious by their capacity to be conscious. Whoa, that's heavy. So I called Kate and I said, <laughs> Kate, this is Jim. She said, I'm sitting there looking at them. Come over and get them. You know, <laughs> I didn't tell her what I wanted. So she was a little psychic or whatever. You know? But anyway, uh, we've had so much fun in AA. And uh, the first time I would tell you, Kathy, she was 
always, every time we needed, we putting on anything like Weekend in SA. We started that in 84 and I don't vote in it, but you know, I'm kind of uh, hang around it. And we do that every year. It's a fundraiser for our central service office, you know, and we started bidding on the international in 85 and we finally got it in 2010. Yeah, you know, I was, was there. So great. Yeah, well, it was wonderful, wasn't it? You know, and then I was on the state uh, convention committee as a, uh, uh, for about 16 years. And the reason for it is they didn't want to keep changing one bank around after another. But finally, we had some heavy-duty AA members saying, y'all need to rotate this. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I, I was able to resign that. <laughs> well, Jim, this has been, gosh, just an absolute, you, you are a treasure. And I'm sure you hear this all the time. But if when I'm around at 92, I have half the togetherness that you do, I, I will be... Uh, more than pleased and yeah. thank you for your service yeah. and i also want to give there's somebody uh a kind of off camera there who somebody helped you get set up today what's that gentleman's name uh, daniel i don't know if he left or is he still here oh, oh okay he, he, he left okay. room. yeah no worries yeah he, and how do you know daniel uh, i've been sponsoring for a number of years uh i okay. sponsored quite a few people and one of the things I used my office was I keep it open five and a half days a week. Uh, I come here every day and share with people. And uh, I haven't been last year as many workshops, but we, we have several meetings a week here also. So <sighs> it's, um, it's a way of life. It truly is a way of life, you know. And right. that's something I was thinking today. When we make that commitment, that we're uh, going to go for this deal, uh, miraculous things start happening. And there is such wisdom in this program. You know, it's like, uh, like I was saying earlier, uh, our common welfare comes first with, with, with my wife as much as I cared for her and she was so good. Sometimes I didn't like her. I didn't like the way she looked. I didn't like the way she talked. I don't want to hear anything about tennis. And uh, so I would lie to her. You know, she would say, you okay? And I'd say, oh, I'm really tired. I'm going upstairs. And, you know, if she followed me upstairs, I'd go in the bathroom and lock the, lock the door. Because I knew within an hour or so, it had nothing to do with her. So I learned to treat good relationships a lot of times I want as a third party. I do that in some of my AA meetings. I go, sometimes I don't like what's going on, but I'm not mm -hmm. gonna do anything that disturbs them. I learned that one time when I was still in business. Uh, I'll tell you right quick, I was in another city and I asked the cab driver, do you know where an AA meeting is? He said, yeah, but we don't go in there after dark. And I said, <laughs> So he took me in there and I went upstairs and I said, Is somebody take me back to the hotel? And this guy said, Oh, sure, be happy to do it. Well, come to find out that town had two 
central service offices, and the one I was in was vigorously taking the other one's inventory. I mean, bad. And so <laughs> the meeting, as it wound down, this uh, chairman said, uh, would Jim from San Antonio like to say something? And I said, I sure would. I said, you know, in our group, we find it's better to take our own inventory. And there was a moment of silence. And then the whole room erupted. You never heard such language in your life. I mean, I was called things I didn't know existed. You know, I mean, some of them inanimate. And I mean, it was bad. And I wasn't sure I was going to get out of there alive. And I asked this. I went and asked this guy. I said, are you still going to take me to the hotel? He said, yes, I'm a man of integrity, but don't open your mouth. I don't want to hear nothing you got to say. <laughs> uh, I said, okay. So I kept trying to make amends to him while we, he said, shut up. I don't want to hear anything you got to say. So anyway, I decided if you ever see me in somebody else's group, you will not hear any criticism. None. I will mm -hmm. not say anything that would say that. Uh, it, you, you may know this already, but you can't say nice things about a, another group sometimes without somebody getting mad. You know what right. I mean? So right. certainly not criticize it. I don't. I don't do that. You know. But I understand. <laughs> so anyway. Jim, this has been absolutely fantastic. I really, really do appreciate you coming on. To wrap us up here, what I usually do is read from page 164 of the big book. I'm sure you've probably heard this before. Uh, it says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Mr. Jim here, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Jim, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, John. Thank you for asking me. Have you ever done a podcast before? No, I never have. All right. Well, now you can put that on your list of things you've done. Okay. I appreciate you. I'll do it without being arrested. <laughs> <laughs> you take care. Thank you, John. Thank you again, Mr. Jim W. Uh, it was such a pleasure to spend time with you. Such an honor. You are a treasure in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I appreciate all of the service work that you continue to do and have done throughout the years in this program and your passion and your love uh, for the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And once again, thank you so, so much. Now, oh, remember now, we do not want you sharing your gossip or your STD. <laughs> but do, do, share this episode with another friend or family member, guess what? It may be just what they need today. Pause that little device that you're on, whatever you're on, hit that share button and send it on. Now onto a little bit of a listener feedback. Alex writes in and Alex says, hello, my boyfriend, Robert 
such and such, is in the Arkansas Department of Correction and has had the pleasure of listening to your podcast. He would love to get in contact with someone to do some step work before he gets out. His name is Robert such and such and some other identifying information. And so I, I, um, thank you so much, Alex, for writing in. Um, I'm waiting to hear back from you. As you know, uh, I responded to the, well, hopefully you will know this, uh, uh, but I, I replied to your email. Uh, by the way, anybody who wants to contact me, I'm at John, J-O-H-N at SoberSpeak.com. And I copied our dear friend Brad, uh, who is a friend of mine here in the Frisco area. And Brad has so graciously uh, agreed to get in contact with Robert uh, and walk him through the steps. And I think that's absolutely fantastic. I'm just kind of the matchmaker here. So anyway, thank you, Alex, for writing in. And uh, Robert, if you're listening out there, we look forward to seeing you someday. Hopefully we can all meet eyeball to eyeball. Thanks for writing in. Kim writes in. Oh, <laughs> this is funny. Kim writes in and she says, hey, John M. Almost every time I listen to an episode, it's while I'm on a run. And I very often think, quote, I need to email John later, unquote. But when I get home, my day happens and somehow I just never end up where I am right now, which is obviously at the emailer machine. <laughs> Now, I've never heard a computer or whatever called an emailer machine, but I'm glad you made it, Kim. She says, anyway, yes, I digress just as you do. I just wanted to pop in and tell you slash ask about three things. You have affected the way I talk. I now say y'all. <laughs> And Ewan's, oh, that would be an homage to my uh, father. And she says, people look at me funny. I don't live anywhere near Texas, John. <laughs> and she puts a big smiley face. And this is the number two. This is the ask part, John. I need to know if people in Texas appreciate it in the movie Pee Wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> the part where Pee Wee is in Texas. For the last 30 years, people, when people ask me a silly question, I laugh at them and say, but Pee Wee, there's no basement at the Alamo. <laughs> and then I giggle at them. Does anyone else do this? Well, not me. I've never heard it once, <laughs> Kim, but I do like that. <laughs> <laughs> Pee, but Pee Wee, there's no basement at the Alamo. Hopefully we can get people uh, uh, started <laughs> saying that. Oh, that's funny. And then the third one is, okay, this is the more serious one. I appreciate your podcast so much. It has helped me navigate some very rough time times in the last two years and three months that I have been listening. I have never been to an AA meeting in person, I remember this, or on Zoom, but I listened to your podcast and I read the book and I try to practice what I've learned. It has all helped me immensely and I want to thank you and your guests to 
to know how much you're giving to your audience, I just wanted to thank you. Three big hearts and three big applause hands. And then she says, mucho grassy us, amigo. And then she says, yes, I'm mocking your Spanish, but in the nicest way. Your, pa- your pal, Kim M., in the Pacific Northwest. Wes, well, thank you so much, Kim. I appreciate that. You know, you're like one of us, but you don't go to the meetings. I don't know what it is. I wish you to go to a meeting just to see what one's like. Uh, but I am. But I'm so glad that you uh, listen in and have been able to benefit uh, what we do here on the pod. Thanks, Kim. Mary. A writes in. She says, "Hi, John. I have been a grateful member of Al-Anon since." June of 2015. I live in the Southern Minnesota. I live in Southern Minnesota. Fairmont is almost in the middle of the state and is very close to the Iowa border. I wonder how you can be in the middle of the state and close to the border. But nonetheless, recovery for me has been a great blessing. While I still have work to do, it has helped me uh, been such a better version of me. I am currently on the sunlight of the spirit board for my area, and I hold a position on the speaker committees. Although I listened to Sober Speak previously, now I listen to it for possible conference speakers. Thanks for all you do. I appreciate your work in getting the speaker stories out to so many of us. God bless Mary A. Well, Mary A., as you know, I wrote you back and said, whenever you need to get in contact with somebody about speaking at a conference, you just let me know. Uh, You know, and I can, uh, I know where most of the people are that I have recorded in the past. There's probably a couple of them that have fallen off the radar, uh, but I would, I can get you in touch with those. And uh, thanks for writing in, Mary. Bob, B-O-B. And that is, oh, what do you call it when you have a word that's spelled backwards and forwards? It's the same thing. I can't remember that name. I can't remember that word right now. Uh, 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 something, a gram, I think so. Anyway, Bob says, hello, John. I discovered Sober Speak as I was learning more about how to do podcasts. And I think what he's talking about here is listen to podcasts, but I, I could be wrong. But anyway, he says, I'm 71 years old and I recently retired and need something to keep me on the beam as I walk my dog in the park next door to my home in Langley, British Columbia, Canada. God willing, if I don't take a drink and I don't die, I will celebrate, listen to this, 50 years of sobriety on January 31st, 2023. Wow, Bob, that is fantastic. He says, it's been a long, mostly pleasant journey with a few hiccups along the way, but uh, uh, but no drinking or using alcohol. Uh, or absences from AA during that 49 and a half year period. I still find that today I am as in much need as ever to keep learning about God, AA, and how I fit into the big plan. Amen, Bob. I understand that, my friend. He says, I stumbled across your Sober Speak podcast and listened to some of the talks that impacted me. The first one being my old friend, Bob B. from Minnesota. Yeah. 
He says, I too, like Bob, am a past delicate to, delegate to the General Service Conference. Keep up the good work, and I will continue listening to your episodes. It's an honor to me, Bob, if you're doing that. It really is. I enjoy your enthusiasm and refreshing way of leading the meeting between the meetings. By the way, there is an outdoor meeting at noon, 365 days of the year in the park where I walk my dog and I attend the meeting about five or six days of the week. Did you say that's an outdoor meeting and you are in Canada? I am very impressed. I hope there is some sort of covering. And I know there are colder and a little bit warmer parts of Canada, but it is Canada. <laughs> so I don't know. Anyway, uh, that is great. He said, uh, uh, I missed the meeting today because I was at the dentist, but my wife, Penny, who is also 49 and a half years sober attended in my place. That is great. Our dog loves to lay in the grass and listen as the gentle voices seem to soothe her. She might think of these being her alladog <laughs> alladog meetings. <laughs> Thanks. I remain yours in love and service, Bob W. Oh, that's just fantastic. Well, Bob, give that group that meets outside 365 days a year in the park my best, please. Please give my best to Penny and your dog. I didn't catch the name of the dog. I think you said it was a she, but uh, <laughs> give her my best uh, and a big hug as well. Thanks, Bob W. With 49 and a half years. God bless you, my friend. Sophie writes in as Sophie says... Hi, John. My name is Sophie L. I'm an alcoholic and an Al-Anon living in West Germany in a town called, oh man, Carl, I'll just spell it, K-A-R-L-S-R-U-H-E. Wow. All the way over there in Southwest Germany. She says, God got me sober on the 27th of November, 2010. It was no one else because I, oh, it was no one else because I was and am certainly beyond human help. Thank you for, for your, thank you and your team for all of your service in fellowship, Sophie L. Well, God bless you, Sophie L. in Germany, in Karlsruhe, Germany, however you pronounce it, but uh, thank you for uh, getting in touch with us. All right, everybody. Oh, I have another one here, but they said they don't want it read quite yet until I get, they give me the thumbs up, which I am fine with. I am more than fine with. That, my friends, is another week. I take this one week at a time. I hope to be back next week. Um... May God bless you and keep you until then. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. And now I am looking very forward to so you know. I am about to go out on a daddy-daughter date with my beautiful daughter. And we're going to go to um, P.F. Chang's. She loves P.F. Chang's. And have a little, a little, a little something, something to eat. Anyway, y'all take care. Love you. Bye-bye.